Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 210 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, December 26th. First and foremost, I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, I hope everything under the tree was what you wanted. If you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope at the very least you got to enjoy some time off of work. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I got the ultimate gift. I got a beautiful new t-shirt from my wife that says, I don't need Google because my wife needs everything. So that was a tease Christmas gift as she uh, lectures me in the background here. Uh, but we got a great show today. Here's the deal. I know a lot of you guys are at work. I know a lot of you guys only had maybe Wednesday off, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. So I wanted to get out a new episode bringing you into the weekend, give you a way to pass the time on the way into the office, uh, uh, pass the time while you're in the office, and it is an awesome show. So Nick Coffey is going to join me. Of course, Nick is a semi-regular on this show. You can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. He's going to join me in a minute. We're going to preview the Louisville-Kentucky game, obviously with extra meaning off of what happened last week with Kentucky losing back-to-back games in Las Vegas. And of course, with Louisville really not playing well in their two signature games, beating Michigan in an ugly game, losing to Texas Tech. So that game has extra meaning. Nick Coffey and I will preview that. We will then talk the two college football playoff games. It's crazy But it feels like nobody is talking about these two games that are coming up on Saturday. LSU, Oklahoma, and Clemson, Ohio State will make our picks later in the show. A lot of you guys have asked me for this, and so what I went ahead and did was this is some of you have been saying, hey, T, what are your your bowl picks? And I'm gonna write, you know, I'm gonna do a written bowl article later this week. But what I did was I brought up my friend James Alberino. He is known as the spread investor on Twitter, one of the sharpest gambling minds on social media. I actually met him last year in Vegas during the NCAA tournament when I was out, well, technically the Pac-12 tournament when I was out there. We hung out with our buddy John Jastrzemski, who is a radio host in New York. We stayed in touch. He comes on. And we do a solid half-hour conversation on how to bet bowl games, what he likes, what to stay away from. And bowl game betting is, of course, kind of crazy just in its own right because of the simple fact that, uh, you know, all these games have different meaning for different teams and certain guys are sitting out. So James Alberino, the spread investor, joins me later to talk bowl games. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to, to go. Spotify, TuneIn Radio, 
Pod Paradise. However you're going to listen to this show, make sure that you're subscribed to the show. We're going to be talking a lot of hoops, a lot of good guests here in the coming weeks. And of course, as the college football playoff winds down, bowl games, we'll talk a little college football as well. Make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Uh, like I said, rating, review, all that good stuff. Follow us on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And of course, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Of course, I will be doing some college basketball mailbags throughout the season. Uh, so yeah, send me in any questions that you have. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, last thing, I do want to reiterate what I said on Monday's show Thank you to all of you that came out to Legacy Stadium last Friday for the Aaron Torres podcast get-together meetup that we had in Las Vegas. It was a great time. It was great meeting some of you that I've corresponded with, that you've tweeted at me, that we've sent direct messages, that you've emailed. Thank you all for coming out. To those of you uh, who came out uh, that were maybe new to the show, I hope you're enjoying what you're getting from the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Um, I apologize if there was one or two people that I couldn't get to. The crowd was overwhelming. But again, I just want to thank everybody for coming out uh, to the Aaron Torres pod meetup. All right, enough small talk. It is time. We're going to talk Louisville and Kentucky. They play this weekend in a college football playoff preview with my buddy Nick Coffey. Now it's time to welcome in my main man, Nick Coffey. You can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. Uh, Nick Coffey, happy holidays. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Season's greetings to you as well, Aaron. Well, I'll ask you, first of all, we'll get into all the stuff in a minute. What is, uh, we're, we're obviously, you know, everyone's in the holiday mood, and, you know, I don't know if you're wearing a Santa hat while we're recording here or not, but uh, what does the, the Coffee family Christmas look like? I mean, we're obviously now uh, past the holiday, heading towards New Year, but but what is the typical uh, New Year's Eve, or Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, uh, what, what is the get-up, what, what do you guys do, what do the coffees do around this time of year? Well, so this is our second year in our new home, and uh, we carried over a tradition from our old house, which is I make breakfast on Christmas morning, Aww. so uh, did that again. It, it's the only meal I feel comfortable making that I feel like is actually good. It's very easy to make eggs, bacon, sausage, uh, that kind of stuff, biscuits. Um, so that's kind of become our thing, but I, it just hit me, as you, as, you, as you mentioned, Christmas and everything that comes with it. I think I went to more family Christmases this year than like ever. We have like four different ones on the wife's side, got a bunch on my side, so uh, it's been busy. It's been festive. In fact, I don't. This weekend we have one more, so uh, it's not slowing down. All right. You said you have another Christmas party after the this. Yeah, weekend? yeah. So it's it's my 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 father-in-law will have us meeting myself, my wife, our little one, and then my wife's brother and sister. So yeah, it, I think in total I'll end up having like six or maybe seven like Christmas different Christmas get-togethers, which means I'm getting gifts and I'm getting hangouts. I'm not complaining. Uh, we stay. Uh, we stay pretty busy. How about you? Uh, are you ever able to get back to uh, to Connecticut this time of year? Uh, I rarely am. I will say, uh, you know, don't feel too bad for me. I was just in Vegas for three days, which. Uh, sure. I- I'll tell you. I'll tell you off air. But the uh, the get together was really fun. You sent a, li- a couple people our way to the get together. Uh, right. Great crew. So you know, listen. I did three days in Vegas. Um, I'm actually filling in on Fox Sports Radio Christmas Day. And so, you know, the the family kind of gets that, uh, you know, this is a time of year where I can uh, get some extra work, and so nobody really complains. But, yeah, we uh, when, when we're here, 
we just hang out with the wife's family. Uh, you know, they're big Christmas Eve folks. So we do the Christmas Eve like until midnight uh, into Christmas Day, open a lot of gifts at that time. Uh, yeah, and that's that's really about it. And by, kind of by – I don't really know if this is standard. I remember it being different when I was a kid, but I feel like by the middle of Christmas Day, you're kind of just sitting there twiddling your thumbs like, okay, we opened the presents – uh, we did the family stuff last night. We ate the big meal last night. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, it's nothing crazy, nothing incredible. Uh, I I spent most of my money and had most of my fun in Vegas this past weekend. So, uh, so yeah. So not uh, pretty uh, low key Christmas this year. So that's good. Um, I, what you just said is totally true because we do because everybody assumes that everybody's busy on Christmas Day. The lightest day of like Christmas celebration, I think, is Christmas Day. We don't really do much of anything outside of our little, our little breakfast thing because all the other. In fact, Christmas Eve has become like our big day where yep. we go all out. But uh, Christmas Day, of course, is a special thing. But it's, you know, the season it, it's not just one day. It's it's a couple of weeks where you're kind of full. You know, uh, and, and it always goes by way too quick. Like I can't believe it's already coming on. Yeah, no, I, I it is kind of incredible, and it is funny. Like this year, I did try to embrace it a little bit more. So uh, we're gonna get to some bowl games in a minute, but. I read this article on P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota coach, and apparently um, he plays Christmas music in his office 365 days a year, which wow. is really on brand for P.J. Fleck, and somebody asked him about it. I, you know, it was one of these, like, Pat Forty had a profile of him, or I don't know if it was Pat Forty or Pete Thamel or something, and he's like, you know, everybody's just nicer around the holidays, and so he's like, you know, if we could just bring that excitement to our day every single day, 365 days a year, the world would be a better place. And so I only bring that up because I kind of like took that uh, to heart this year. So I've tried to get more into it and I've tried to get the tree up earlier and I tried to play the Christmas music earlier. So I do feel like I fully embraced uh, the Christmas spirit this year. Usually I'm a Scrooge. Usually I don't want to put up the tree. Usually I don't want to go shopping. But because of P.J. Fleck, uh, and we'll talk some college football in a minute, I had more Christmas cheer this year uh, than ever before. Anything else on PJ Fleck? Any big big picture thoughts on PJ Fleck before we uh, roll into some hoops here? No, I just I, I can't imagine Christmas music year round would help you in recruiting, but you seem to be doing pretty well so far there. Yeah, he's the man, and uh, he's definitely unconventional, but it works for him. And so AT got a, a little extra in the Christmas spirit here uh, over these last couple weeks. But let's actually uh, transition to some stuff and. I mentioned a minute ago I was in Vegas this weekend, obviously uh, saw the Kentucky-Ohio State game in person, shared a lot of my thoughts on Monday's show on that game, and obviously now we transition to Kentucky-Louisville this weekend, which is kind of the signature game. It's a slow week, obviously with the holidays there's not a lot of games. Uh, Nick, I'll tell you really kind of quick, um, you know, my thought on that Kentucky game, and then you could take it to the Kentucky-Ohio State game, the big picture, this and that. So I get that there are, and this was what kind of what I talked about on Monday's show, but I get that there are big picture issues with Kentucky. Uh, the three-point shooting is just absolutely abysmal. And uh, I shared a stat, I think it was Gary Parrish who shared it over the weekend, is that there hasn't been a team uh, since 2010 that has made the tournament that shoots the three-point shot as bad as Kentucky is currently shooting it. And so I get the concern. I get that they don't have that dynamic superstar that they have in the past. My argument was also that the team that they played on Saturday, Ohio State, um, they, they're a really good team. 
They've already beaten a good Villanova team by 25 points. They beat Cole Anthony, uh, North Carolina with Cole Anthony by 25 points. And Kentucky was basically in that game. And if it weren't for a couple kind of sketchy whistles at various points in Kentucky, it you know, was minus nine in turno- uh, uh Excuse me. They had nine more uh, total fouls. Uh, Ohio State took significantly more foul shots. Like, Kentucky had a chance to win that game. So I get why some people want to think that the sky is falling, that the season's over, all that stuff. But I don't think it's quite as bad as people think, but now we transition to Louisville, which of course has its own questions, uh, has played well since that Texas Tech loss. But those are just kind of my big picture thoughts, and I kind of wanted to volley it to you to kind of take it wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky, I'll go back to what I said in June when, Pete, when, when EJ Montgomery decided to come back, that this Kentucky team, they are the least intimidating, overwhelming team that I can think of the Calipari's had there. It actually says one of the other teams he's had than anything else. And I, I wasn't buying that EJ Montgomery was going to be substantially improved. And, and so far, that hasn't been the case. But the good thing for Kentucky is that although they just don't overwhelm you with talent and they don't really scare you like they have, like this Kentucky team is the last, I don't know, maybe not in recent, recent years, but there have been plenty of Kentucky teams and Calipari's there, there that it didn't matter what you did. And that's kind of what I've been having to talk about on my show the last few days that we've we've officially switched gears to this matchup is that football fans want to act as if it's it's just bad luck and there's the, the sports gods have cursed them because they just never play well against Kentucky. And in the 12 meetings since Cal's been in Lexington, nearly 11, 10 times of those wins, Kentucky is 10-2 under Cal and Louisville. And 95% of those games, they won because they're better. It's not because of any fluke. It's not I mean the Josh Harrelson random game kind of seems like the only one that stands out is where you couldn't really see that coming at that time. Um, but this Kentucky team is, is more beatable than they normally are. Well, as you mentioned, they have their own. And this will be kind of a measuring stick game for them because after the Texas Tech loss, we didn't learn anything when they played EKU in, in Miami, Ohio. But with Kentucky, as much as I'm sitting here saying they're more beatable than normal, you could also, I mean, they don't even have to be, they don't have to be a great shooting team. I mean, Cal Perry kind of said it best that, you just can't go two for 12 or two for 16. Yep. I mean, think about this, Aaron. They, they could have shot 25% instead of whatever percentage they shot in some of those games, and they would be three They would be three and oh in the games they lost. I mean, think about how close, I mean, both, both the Utah game and the Evansville game, you make one more jumper, you still shoot poorly, but you probably win. That's the case with, with Ohio State, but as much as Kentucky still didn't look overwhelming in that game, I still have to look at the big picture and say, well, we know Ohio State's legit. Like everybody knows, they're they're flawed and they're not perfect. There is no scary team this year. But I think it's maybe not to assume, but most would look at Ohio State as a legitimate team. And Kentucky was right there the whole time. And you know maybe they're not going to get that Nate Sestina every night. But I mean, I also just don't think these guys missing all these shots. Like after ten games, you are who you are. Like it's not just a shooting slump. This team will never be a great shooting team, but they'll eventually get more shots to fall because. I mean, two guys just, I mean, Emmanuel quickly has been a good shooter at times. He's in a slump. Yep. Um, and, and honestly, Maxie's really shooting poorly, really bad percentage. But I mean, we've seen a game where he got hot. So I don't think that'll ever be their strength. But like, it's not crazy to think, one, that Kentucky can maybe do a little bit of fine tuning and be a much better team than we've seen in recent weeks. But also, again, if they just make a couple more shots, yep. they may not even have a loss at this point. Well, and that and that's my point is, um, and that's you know, and listen, like it's it's the weird thing, right? Where like 
I I kind of see both sides and being in Vegas. It was it was actually very interesting because because doing the meet and greet on Friday. It allows you to talk to fans, and obviously it was before the Ohio State game, so it was before the, the dual losses in Las Vegas, so the, the 0-2 stretch. But I, the, 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 the people on social media, and, and you and I always talk about off-air, social media isn't a reflection of society, but um, you know the, the people on social media... I don't think it reflective of a lot of people that, you know, I talked to a lot of people on Friday that said, like, I think we're going to be fine. Like, I, I do have questions about this or this guy or Aaron, what do you make of this guy? Is this guy going to flip a switch? But I don't think it's as dire as a lot of people think. And like, like my whole thing, and this has been kind of my number one point, Nick, and, and on them all year. And maybe uh, we'll, we'll get, you know, I'll let you see what you think. And then we kind of can kind of transition to the Louisville side of things. But like, you know, with Kentucky, I think it's kind of what you said. The talent isn't overwhelming, but they are still like I think they're probably somewhere between the seventh and and fifteenth best team in the country right now, and the the record doesn't show it. I don't have them ranked there because you can't have them ranked there based on their resume. But like you know, I, I look at this team and I sit there and say, and this is kind of again been my bigger picture takeaway on on them throughout the season, is just that if they're not talent, they're, they're not untalented. But they're not talented enough to show up in anything other than 100% locked in mode um, because they can lose to anybody on the schedule. And it's been shown with Evansville. It's been shown to a degree with Utah, although I don't know that Utah's quite as terrible as maybe we thought. But I only bring it up because of this is because if they just showed up locked in, ready to go like a veteran team, you know, say what you want about, say, in Ohio State or whoever. Ohio State shows up to play every single night. Now, I think Ohio State's a little bit more talented than Kentucky, but Ohio State shows up to play every night. Gonzaga shows up to play every night. If Kentucky just showed up to play every night, they would be, instead of 8-3, and three, they'd be 10-1 and one and coming off their only loss of the season against Ohio State. And so I guess that's just my bigger picture takeaway with them overall is I know that there are things that need to be worked on. I know that there are things that, like you said, uh, the three-point shooting will probably never be elite. They're never going to be Villanova and go 18 of 21 from three in a game. And I don't know if Villanova's even done that, but you know, Villanova has that kind of capability. But I just also think that if they just come in locked in, ready to go going forward, they're going to be in pretty good shape in most of the games they play because, oh, by the way, the SEC stinks this year. Louisville's good. But outside of Louisville, I don't know that there's a team that if I'm a Kentucky fan today, I'm saying, dude, we, we could be in real trouble. And even Louisville, I don't think they, they, that like they're in real trouble. But the point I guess I'm trying to make, I don't think they're as bad as the record indicates, but I don't think they're good enough to not show up locked in, ready to go. But if they do show up locked in, I think they're in pretty good shape for most of the rest of the games on the schedule. Well, and, and they've had teams where they're ready to play, they would still be good teams just because that's exactly. how, I mean, that's just kind of how they've been. Like, they're not talentless by any means. I do think the guys that are having to play more minutes now this year, um, you know, the, old, the guys who used to get similar minutes were a little bit further along. Like right now, Keon, uh, or, yeah, Keon Brooks, Khalil Whitney, and Johnny Dixon just not giving them a whole lot. Yep. Whereas in other teams, you know, you had, um, you know, guys that were, you know, future NBA players that were getting those kind of minutes. I mean, this is not a situation where they're playing Darius Mays and Jared Polson like they were years ago. This team has pieces. It's just they haven't been, I guess, ready as early as maybe some of the other guys have. Um, but with, I mean, one thing about Kentucky, as much as I'm sitting here saying they just don't overwhelm you like they normally do, it works out good for them with timing because nobody this year does. I mean, 
there's not a team that is I think we'll have teams that start to look like, okay, they have created some separation. But I think if you have a top tier of two, three teams that you say, okay, they're the best teams in the country, it's not insane that they could slip up and lose because that's already happened. I mean, some of these teams, like obviously the loss to, to um, Devonsville and Stephen F. Austin, those are the ones that stand out. But like Ohio State lost to a bad Minnesota team. I mean, Virginia lost to a bad South Carolina team. So like it's not just – everybody's vulnerable, everybody's beatable, um, and that has to make Kentucky fans a little better big picture. And I know they're used to being the team that is dominant right now uh, and, and looks like they're only going to get better. And this team will get better for them. It's just that I just don't think they're used to having to – I guess I'm, I'm sitting here thinking maybe they're missing like the key, like the player that's just a star. But then again, they've had other teams that weren't really star-driven. Then again, I mean, how much, you know, I think P.J. Washington's a guy that last year, I don't, people, I don't know people realize just how much he improved. Yep. He did what he was supposed to do, get better and come back. But, like, he had stretches where he was clearly one of the best players in the country, and I just don't think there's a guy on that team for them this year. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. And that's one I kind of talked about on the last episode, too, is can Tyrese Maxey get to 80% of what he did against Michigan State? I was thinking quietly, Ashton Hagens has been, like, really good. But he's, oh, yeah. yeah he's, he's been a, not only a guy who's phenomenal, yeah, and I was going to say, he's just not a guy that's going to get you 29 in a game, although I think, ironically, he had one or two games like that last year. But because he's not going to get you, like, 29 on a normal night, um, you know, people just don't pay attention to him. But I think he's actually been playing really well. From the Louisville he's pers- the best player right now. Yeah, I, I agree, I agree. From the Louisville perspective, what is kind of the conversation? I mean, is it as simple as we got to win this game because they're down and we haven't won this thing in a, in a year or two. Uh, is it kind of just we're in wait-and-see mode like everybody else is? Is it we've put Texas Tech passes? I mean, what is the conversation from the Louisville side of things in terms of what either what has to happen or what you're looking for or whatever? Well, I, I've been having to try to inject some life uh, in this fan base because you know, there's no there's no way to, to shine it up and make it sound any less devastating. I mean, you've lost 10 of 12 to your rival, I understand why you're kind of numb to it and you just expect to lose and hope for the best, but you're not shocked when you lose. But as I've been trying to remind people is that, yes, Kentucky's a little bit down this year compared to what they normally are, but Louisville has a good team. They're yep. flawed like everybody else. That was evident in their loss to Texas Tech. But, like, I just wish you'd have a little bit of life uh, about yourself when you have a team that, you know, like, you know, Kentucky was coming in not losing to Ohio State. Louisville should still maybe not be overly confident because it is. I don't care what the circumstances are. We're going to be in But, like, I just can't believe how defeated uh, and, and, and how the fans just seem to be conceding a loss, which if Kentucky wins, in the grand scheme of things, nobody's going to really ultimately be shocked because, again, we're talking about Kentucky playing on their home floor. But I just feel like this is the one of very few years you can say objectively that you might have an edge and you might have the better team. Maybe not a huge gap, but I think objective objective eyes would tell you that Louisville has 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 played better basketball for the most part. They've looked flawed like everybody else. And all I want fans to do is not be overly confident, not be chesty, but just at least embrace it and say, hey, man, I hope we can take advantage because who knows how many more times we're going to have a better team. And everybody brings up the Rick Pitino factor, but he's gone. I mean, Chris Mack last year, I don't think Louisville lost because they weren't ready to play. Louisville lost to Kentucky because Kentucky was a better team. And that's, that's really, I mean, I'm sure they could have done some things better, but like Tyler Hero does not count as the random guy that went off against Kentucky. Tyler Hero is one of the best rookies in the NBA right now. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I didn't realize that the fan base was quite so down. As a matter of fact, I, I would have assumed that 
because of the fact that Kentucky looks so sloppy early on. And I'll, listen, I'll say this from my own experiences with Louisville fans, and, and it's always you know uh, interesting to deal with fans on social media, but I, I thought that there were actually some really kind of big picture concerns with Louisville following the Texas Tech game. I put that out there on kind of my social media account, and Louisville fans came after me saying that you're AT, you're overreacting. You don't know what you're talking about. And like basically those concerns were the point guard play isn't very good. They don't have a guy to kind of set things up. And when Jordan Noir doesn't go for 18, 22, 24, 26, 28 points, Louisville, you know, it could be in tough shape. And so I find it kind of interesting because when I said that, the fan base was like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. But it sounds like kind of internally, maybe the fans are a little bit more concerned. Because like, I look at them and they're whatever, 10-1, and 11-1. And, um, and like from my perspective, I say, well, they didn't really play that well against Michigan, even though they won. Uh, and they certainly didn't play well against Texas Tech, and those were their two biggest games. So I thought that the fans were a little bit more confident in just the overall uh, team and the overall body of work. But are you just saying because they've struggled in the rivalry, they're nervous, or what exactly? Yes, that's it. That, that's what it all comes down to. Like I don't deal with fans who think Louisville's fraudulent and not really good. I, I don't mean the excitement level was at an all-time high until the Texas Tech loss, and everybody overreacted. Oh, that's kind of what you do. Um, I mean. It, this team is good, and, and, and fans don't think they're looking at this game as a no shot to win because of all those flaws. They just they just assume that this that, that they're cursed, which I just think is so lame to do. I mean, we've already had to deal with fans. Well, Jordan Moore's getting off the ball with two fouls already. I mean, I just, I just think that stuff is so weak. It's 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 part of my first, but it should be losers say. And it's I've been you know it's almost like they own they own the fan base not overall mentally, but a lot. of and I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I've been doing the last few shows. So I think out of here, I've been having local fans tell me why they're not confident. Now, if you want to give me a specific, you just say, okay, point guard play is important, they have the HBA, then okay, I mean, I'll hear you. That's valid. But people bring up the last 10 years as a factor of this game, and that won't matter at all. And I think that's pretty obvious that the fan base is just the rattle, man. And I, in a way, I get it because, again, nobody wants to lose. I mean, we just had this conversation two weeks ago about how Gershon Harbaugh's done in Michigan. But that fan base feels like they're two feet tall compared to the rival, and that kind of yep. stuff matters. So I don't think there's been any reason to think that the trend of Katina's teams playing too tight because he never got over the fact that Kentucky fans booed him. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's going to factor in with Chris Mack's teams, but people are just – what happens is they're just so willing to accept it because they just – you know, I guess that's how they deal with it better. Um, but as much as Louisville has flaws and like everybody else and they did lose to Texas Tech, they're still a really, really good defensive team. In fact, their defense has been ahead of their offense, and Kentucky at times has been not necessarily easy to defend, but it's not as if you're having to, to check Anthony Davis or P.J. Washington or anything like that. So that's what gets me so frustrated is that when you want to tell me you're worried about the game, I'll hear you because maybe there are some matchup problems and flaws Global has that could be exploited. We've seen it before. But most people who I hear from would say Global won't win. It has nothing to do with actual basketball, which just drives me insane. Very good. Uh, really quick, I do want to talk about the college football playoff and some bowl games and stuff. Anything else on this game or anything else in, in college hoops in general? I mean, it's kind of a weird year where because – I don't know if it's because there's no great teams or because there's no Zion or maybe it's not anything that's mutually exclusive. Uh, you know, maybe the two things aren't mutually exclusive. But, I, you know, part of me feels like, okay, we all love this sport and it's still fun and, you know, the the, the, the crowd that I run with um, – you know they love their teams as much as they ever do, and there's more. Uh, there's more 
um, interest as there's always been, and there's been so many kind of big marquee matchups early with uh, Louisville, Texas Tech, and Ohio State, Kentucky, and Ohio State, or yeah, Ohio State, North Carolina, and uh, all these great things. But I also feel like I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like something's a little bit off this year, a little bit slower. What do you just make of of the season as a whole? I know we kind of talked a minute ago about there not being any great teams, but it's been kind of a weird one through about six eight weeks. I feel like. No, it's been it's been definitely weird. Now that it's not been, we've had other years where there's not one overwhelming team, but normally you feel like there's a lot of good teams. I don't know if that's been the case this year that makes it different. But the last two times there was no really good team. The national championship. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on them if they roll through. What is this? Is their final season in the American? Who's that? UConn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Last season, headed to the Big East. I, I will say. I'm saying like the last two times we had years kind of like this where there was no really really dominant team. UConn just messed around and won the whole thing. So I'm that, that maybe maybe they need to be a team on my radar more something than happen. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're if they're winning the chip this year. If they make the NCAA tournament, <laughs> uh, they should build Danny Hurley a statue. Actually, they're not that bad. I mean, look, they beat Florida. Florida's terrible. But I, I'll, I'll say this real quick. It's not always a big topic because the schools, the schools are big brands, but they don't necessarily have big fan bases. But the Big East is actually really good this year. So they, um, of course, yeah, yeah. That's one topic that I don't think people are talking about, just because like I don't know, and I hate to say this, but like I don't know that Creighton moves the needle nationally, or um, Seton Hall moves the Hall, uh, Seton Hall moves the needle nationally. But I believe I could be mistaken on this, but I believe as a conference they went. 9 and 0 this weekend including 7 and 0 against Power 5, you know, other Power Conference teams. So Villanova beat Kansas, um uh uh, uh who am I may St. John's beat Arizona, um DePaul beat Northwestern, Providence beat Texas. So like that league is good. I don't feel like that's kind of a national kind of talking point just because again the fan bases aren't big and huge and crazy online like a Kentucky fan base or a Tennessee fan base or a Louisville fan base, but they are good. I think there's a lot of good teams in that league. I think overall uh, the Big Ten's been pretty good, but I do think the ACC's down a little bit. The SEC is most oh, yeah. definitely down. The ACC's down. definitely down. The SEC's down. I mean, the Big East is like they're not far. I mean, where they're getting better is their depth, and of course it helps when Nova's winning what, two out of three titles like they did a couple years ago, but like if DePaul can keep it going, Marquette can get some consistency – I mean, Georgetown keeps losing players, yet they keep winning games. I mean, the Big East, I don't know if it'll ever, like you said, because of the fan bases and whatnot, and they don't normally traditionally get the one-and-done type players that get a ton of hub coming out of high school. But, like, wouldn't shock me if in a couple of years, especially with UConn coming back to where, like, there's no debate the deepest league is the Big East because they just don't have many back teams. Like, no. Providence was, had, had a hell of a run going, and you mentioned their win over Texas. But, I mean, they're kind of down this year, but normally in recent years they've been one of the, the, the strengths of that league. Yeah, I could be mistaken, but I think they've made five straight NCAA tournaments, maybe, which is they're on currently. They they weren't in it last year, but they were before that. I think five straight tournaments, which was which was the longest streak, believe it or not, in school history. So no, the Big East is good, but yeah, it's just one of those weird years where I feel like, you know, I I don't know if it's because, like I said, I don't know if it's because there's no dominant players. I don't know if it's whatever. It just doesn't feel like there's as much kind of national buzz. And listen, losing James Wiseman hurts. Losing Cole Anthony to injury hurts. Whatever. But uh, interesting. I, mean, I think I think for the most part, like for me, I, I I don't I wouldn't say that I love the kind of season that we've had so far. But I also I'm, I'm, I realize that matter what the hell we do with college basketball, I'm always going to watch it and be obsessed with it. But I do think there's something I just did on my show 
two weeks ago, and he said that he really thinks that the lack of a Zion and the lack of really a team that ESPN, who used to work for, can just make the team of the year. That could really hurt ratings. But then again, you you know, I'm going to watch regardless. But I know I'm not the you know I'm not the I'm not the uh, guy they need to be looking out for to make college basketball more entertaining and attractive. It's kind of just been a, a lifeline for me. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's actually really funny because. Uh, I've brought this up on the show before, but that was actually the reason that I picked Cole Anthony as National Player of the Year in the preseason, as I was like, look, he's really good. I don't know how good the guys are around him. And ESPN needs somebody to gas up to get, yeah. their, to get their coverage going, to get people excited about random college basketball. So um, that was actually why I had Cole Anthony. But, yeah, you're right, man. Duke doesn't have that guy this year. Uh, there's nobody. Well, like, I mean, even, like, even when they failed, Vincent was the guy who moved the needle. Trey Young was yep. like for the first two and a half months of the season, like he – he got he got the sport some spotlight, and Zion, of course, the numbers were insane. What he did for the sport, and no doubt, you don't have that guy this year. But I don't think you have anybody close to it. I thought honestly, after the first game he played, I thought it was going to be Cole Anthony. Yeah, no, me too, man. I mean, he scored like thirty four points in his opener. So, all right, let's transition. Uh, college football playoff is this weekend. This is another one. Like, like I don't know if it's because of the Christmas holiday or whatever. I feel like there's not buzz, and maybe we say that every year because college football. No, this is the third. I think you said that, and I think honestly, I do think it has something to do with the holidays. I, I, I think it's totally fair. And listen, this is the criticism of college football among many. There's always criticisms of college football, but it's that the regular season ends. Things are at an all-time high. Interest is created, and you have a three-week lull or four-week lull between the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason. And so, um, so yeah, no, I, I think that there's not a lot of buzz coming in. Uh, is there one game you're more excited about than the other? I mean, I would assume there is because one game is about a field goal difference in terms of Vegas point spread. LSU, Oklahoma is close to two touchdowns. Is there one you're more excited about than the other? Are you excited about both? I mean, where do you kind of stand? Excitement probably wouldn't be the right word to use, but I, I just want to see where the hell Clemson is. Just because, I mean, that's honestly one of the, you know, just because the ACC, maybe not biased, because, again, I don't care at all. I don't know. Because they're in the ACC, I'm just trying to see if, if, if so do you remember when Florida State came back from their championship game with Davis Winston? I believe it was the first in the college football playoff. Say that, say that one more time? What's that? Say that, just say that one more time. When Jameis Winston came back for Florida State after winning the national championship, yep. I think that was the first year of the playoff, and they they kind of went through the ACC, but they just didn't look right, kind of like Clemson has been all year. There's just something about them, even though they're dominating team, they just don't look. And I wouldn't say they don't look right, but they don't look. They, you think like they should be more scared. That's the way I look at it. And I think with Florida State that year, you were just waiting and waiting for them to eventually turn it on when it mattered, and they couldn't. They got crushed by Oregon, I believe, in that game. And that's kind of the way I look at this Clemson team. They're either going to turn it on and look like a Clemson team that can be, you know, an actual champion, which, I mean, there's no proof that they can't be that. They've not lost a game all year. In fact, they dominated most teams they played other than North Carolina. Of course, they played a great team outside of how really they didn't have a good schedule at all. But they're either going to be a team that can say, hey, we want to prove everybody wrong. You guys are doubting us. Doesn't matter what league we play in. Or they're going to, to me, be that Florida State team that just tries to turn it on at the last minute. And, and they can't, because I do think the human element with them is a real thing where they, they hear it all the time. And that was, I think, going over the top trying to motivate them about how they're, you know, they're, they're, they're this underdog and whatnot. But, um, that's what I want to see. That's what I'm just eager to find out if they're going to be able to do it or not. Because they're playing a phenomenal Ohio State team who I think the committee got right with the seating because 
I think if you would not have award, if you would have not rewarded LSU for beating a team that I don't think Georgia was number four, but the committee had them there. If they beat them, it's almost like you're contemplating your own rankings if you don't bump up LSU. But I think from from you know just the eye test, Ohio State has looked maybe scarier than anybody this year. So that matchup is a little more intriguing than the other one. But I mean, like anybody else, I'm going to tune in and watch and. Um, you know, hopefully we get some uh, we get some entertaining football. I think we will. I really do. Yeah, I, you know, to start with the Clemson Ohio State thing. I mean, I know it's easy to say like, oh, Clemson hasn't looked dominant or whatever. And yeah, early in the season they did struggle, but I mean, basically off of that that North Carolina game in the first bye. I mean, here are some of the final scores: forty-five fourteen Florida State, forty-five ten Louisville game you were at, fifty-nine seven against BC. 59-14, And so, like, I know it's easy to say that they haven't looked dominant, but, I mean, they, they've been about as dominant as you can be. Oh, no, there's there's no doubt about that. They've literally, I mean, the more you look at the numbers, and as you, as you can kind of go, I can get why Dabo Sweeney's looking at people like they're foolish, like, you're not paying attention to what we're doing? I mean. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying is, like, I just, I don't know, um, like, I don't buy the narrative that, oh, just like, yeah, they, they like, well, they, they, I mean, if you want to argue they haven't played anybody, that's a completely different conversation than they haven't looked good in doing it. Um, Ohio State's kind of interesting to me, and this is a theory I kind of had after the, the conference championship games, but I thought Ryan Day a little too, like, vocal about not getting the one seed, which I thought was kind oh, of yeah. Well, yeah, I thought it was kind of weird, right? Like, like they asked Ed Orgeron, I, and I might have talked about it on on this show previously, but they asked Ed Orgeron after the SEC championship game, well, you know, do you you know make your case for being the number one seed? And you know, Coach O was like, dude, like we already beat Bama, we already beat, Te- we won at Texas, we beat Florida, we beat all like, what's it? Just tell us who we're gonna play and where we're gonna play them, and we're good to go. Like, like, and so he was just like, yeah, I don't. I don't really care. Like, just line them up, and we're gonna be and ready. What's that? I said I believed him too. Like, it didn't just. Like, he was trying to give us a badass quote when he said, "Put us anywhere." I don't. I believe him. Yeah, and so like, I thought it was weird that Ryan Day almost took the opposite approach of like, we think we've done enough to be the one seed, and um, you know, uh, uh, in the even after the matchups were announced, he led the press conference with. Uh, you know, we're a little disappointed that we didn't get that number one seed. Do you think that's a factor at all? Like, like it's something that it's just been kind of, I don't know if rubbing me the wrong way is probably the best way to put it, but like, it's kind of like, dude, like, you know, at a certain point, you got to play good teams. And but for the record, Ohio State has played several good teams throughout the season, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, et cetera. But I'm kind of just like, dude, I, I, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Whereas Dabo legitimately is playing the nobody believes in us card or we're not getting a respect card. I feel like Ryan Day just kind of coming out and being like, "Yeah, we should have been the number one seed." I, I, I don't know. I, something about that I didn't really like. Yeah, with you, and honestly, it's one of those things where I happened to be watching whenever he would, because of course they have the hours long show to to uh, you know to lead up to all that. But um, I remember kind of just thinking he had the much different approach than all the other coaches that were talking about being there. Now, to be fair, there is. I mean, there is. A, this is the first time I can remember where there's been a fourth seed team that. You know, Oklahoma's a big brand. They've been to the playoff multiple years, so just perception alone, it doesn't look as if it's weak of the four, but, I mean, let's say it would have ended up being Utah, and I know Utah was a lot better than most teams probably even realized, but, like, this was the year where it really seemed important to get the one spot over two or three because you probably would have an easier game. Um, 
but again, I just even if you think that Levi, it looks kind of weird to say that. It almost seems like this guy's done nothing. I mean, this guy's been on to a right even last year. Ohio State, I thought it looked more dangerous when he was coaching than what Urban was. Um, but this is like the first time I, I felt like okay. This guy's never been here before in this situation. Because, like you, even if he's just being honest, like you don't normally hear coaches say that. And it, it does kind of seem to, like, if they're going through this game feeling like they're already being screwed over, like, I don't know if that's the right. I mean, look, there's two ways it could work where you feel like you are trying to prove people right. Hey, you got it wrong. We were the number one team. Or you could kind of go in feeling sorry for yourself and get, you know, get, get pumped. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't have to say they terrible in the playoff other than the one year they made it and won it, the whole thing. Well, the, ironically, the last time that there was a playoff game in Phoenix where this game is going to be played was when I was at FoxSports.com. It was Clemson, Ohio State, and Ohio State lost 31 to nothing to Clemson right. in that game. I was at that game, and it was I think it was actually the last year that they did the games on New Year's Eve because what ended up happening was it was a blowout. And it was like a 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on New Year's Eve. And basically everybody just tuned out for the second half. And I remember even just kind of being in the stadium, like we were all just kind of twiddling our thumbs waiting for that game to end. So, yeah, Ohio State. And then the last few years. That was probably the most embarrassing playoff loss since the playoffs have been around. Right? I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, there is, and there is an answer to the question. I feel like maybe, maybe that's in Ohio State's head. They, hey, last time we had a pleasant team, they embarrassed us. Oh, 100%. I think, and I could be mistaken, I think Clemson beat them in an Orange Bowl, too, because that was a big conversation at that point. Was like, this was like before, this was, so that game was before Clemson had won their first national championship, let alone their second one. And that was like the conversation was like, dude, Dabo just took Urban Meyer to the woodshed for a second straight time. Um, the only kind of you know dragon left to slay is Nick Saban. Then he obviously did that a week later when Deshaun Watson and them won a national championship. But yeah, no, listen, Ohio State. I mean, you know, they play well in these big games, but but they they won the Rose Bowl last year. They beat in Michigan for a billion years in a row. But yeah, no, they haven't been on this stage. And and you know, I don't know. I just something about the Ryan Day stuff rubbed me the wrong way. Also. The last two games, they have gotten off to kind of slow starts. I mean, they, I they were Wisconsin. yep, Wisconsin, for people who don't remember, they were down at halftime. And against Michigan, I think it was 21-17. Michigan scored 17 points. I remember that uh, vividly. And listen, Michigan was probably one of the 10 to 12 best teams in the country all season long. So, like, it's not to say that that was, like, a, a bad performance or anything, but just, you know, maybe uh, – Ohio. listen, I think – I would say this way. LSU was peaking going into the college football playoff the way that they beat up Georgia. Uh, I think Clemson, for a large degree, is peaking going into the college football playoff against uh, Ohio State. I don't know that Ohio State is peaking coming into the college football playoff, and maybe it's just because they played better competition down the stretch, but that's just kind of my, my, my thought is I don't know that they're peaking where those other two elite teams kind of are. Yeah, no doubt. And that's why I think we'll end up getting uh... – Ohio, Ohio State, you're right. They're not peaking necessarily, but and I'm not even like a big doubter of Clemson. I've literally just kind of been a well. More than anything, I've just been like, well, let's see where they really are because they're going to play a really, really good team, no matter who the hell they get in the playoff. But I think Justin Fields has been one of the better players. He's had one of the better seasons, and it's not that he's ignored. People know who he is. He's been really good, but like I kind of feel like he deserves a little more shine than he's gotten. I mean, he's been phenomenal. Um, 
And, I, and that's why I, I, I would, if I have, if I'm picking who wins that matchup between Clemson and Ohio State, I'm going Ohio State, and it's the field factor because Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, we all know he's not been able to really pick up where he left off last year. But like I watched him in person, he's in the same guy that he was in that championship game last year. I don't know what it is. He still statistically had a fine season. He's not a bad quarterback by any means, but he just he, he didn't really seem to have the it factor. Maybe he needs to play in the biggest the big games, and that's when he really gets going. But I think the two teams we've been talking about more than anybody this year will be who's there playing at the end. And that's kind of what I want. I mean, when you have a ring interest, like everybody used to say they were so tired of here of seeing Aaron Clemson give us something new. I mean, if you don't have a dog in the fight don't, and, and you're a fan of a certain sport, don't you want to see the two best teams play each other to see who wins it? So I'm hoping we get Ohio State at LSU. And uh, I got to say, Coach O, um, I don't think I don't think his I don't think his story is over yet. This has been a, a crazy ride. If you remember, what three years ago we were on this podcast talking about how you know he was the safe pick for LSU and they got him because he was cheap and all these other coaches were getting other big jobs and I mean look how well that's worked out for them. It's crazy. Yeah, I, that was going to be my, my my last question since you kind of uh, already told us that you who you like, which was sounds like you like LSU, Ohio State. I probably lean LSU, Clemson, but. Uh, Coach O, like, like, listen, I've talked about it a lot on this show uh, throughout the fall. Like, I think he is such an incredible story. And by the way, living in L.A., it's kind of crazy because it comes up, uh, it's come up, it's become a big talking point here in L.A. is that Coach O was the interim head coach, and they played really well under him when Lane yeah. Kiffin was fired. Um, I do think there's actually a little bit of revisionist history because I do think he actually was in line to get the job, and then... They got destroyed by UCLA on the last game of the regular season. That was when Jim Mora was actually uh, coaching pretty well. Uh, so there's a little bit of a revisionist history here. But I also think, like, what he's done at LSU is so incredible. And, like, the thing that I like about him and, and something that I've talked about is, like, one, he's personality-wise, he's just so different from Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and kind of like the old-school, like, dictator college football coach. But, like, the other thing that I, I really like about him is he's kind of like redefined this thing. And, and I think Dabo's done this a lot too, so I don't want to say that Coach O's the only one. But like you said, Nick, he's, he, he came cheap. You know, I, I, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I would venture to guess he probably makes less than most SEC head coaches. But he has the highest paid yep. defensive coordinator in the sport. They just signed the, the, the OC Joe Brady to a big, fat extension. And that's what I like about him is like he's like, dude, I'm the head coach, but I'm going to hire good people. I'm going to put them in charge. I'm going to let them do what they do. I'm not going to micromanage. I'm not going to over, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not going to be Nick Saban yelling and screaming. I'm going to hire you to do a job. You're going to do it. The players um, play insanely hard for him. I just love everything about this guy. Add in, obviously, like, look, the the personality, the the voice, the, the fact that he was the dude in the blind side. Like, dude, I just love everything everything about this story and I also love the fact that like oh by the way he's quietly turned them into a juggernaut beating Georgia Bama Florida Auburn Texas all these great teams this year he's reminded me what LSU can be whenever I mean even, even when they were really good under less like they still just you know they never had a good offense it seems like they never had a good quarterback and now Joe Burrow's insane and I mean, they're loaded. And really, you know, you mentioned him kind of delegating and, and, and putting together a big staff and not letting like, his ego get in the way of who he brings in. He's just a good leader. You know what I mean? Like from top to bottom. And I think everybody yeah. plays hard, works their ass off for him, not just his players, but staff just because they think he's pretty – it's genuine. And rarely – I mean, even if, like, there are a lot of coaches out there that, you know, their demeanor, uh, the things they say, the way they carry themselves – 
like I can't say there's anything wrong with it, but I'm not sure if like that's really who they are. And yep. I could be wrong. I feel like everything we see about Ed Orgeron is exactly who he is, and that's just refreshing because I mean Dabo has kind of been more of a love on him uh, coach uh, that is much different than Saban. And look, there's two different ways to do it. Both those guys have been super successful and they do things completely differently. Um, but it just seems refreshing to I mean one. It sounds crazy to say because we've seen him be so animated and over the top, but it's almost like he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, at least that's the way it appears. And I keep thinking eventually I'm going to get tired of all the love Coach O gets because that's sort of how it works for me. It's like, you know, all right, it was cool to like him two years ago, but can we can we stop? Because I've honestly done that with Dabo. Like, <laughs> that's kind of what it's turned into for me. But here we are well, two ends away from a championship, and I'm, I'm not tired of the love for Coach O just yet. Can, can I jump in there really quick? So I think the reason – so I think as long as Coach O stays being Coach O, um, we'll all love him. I think the thing with Dabo – Dabo got a little edgy this year. Like you got to be honest. Like, like you, oh, know, yeah. you know, like, like I forget what was the thing that he said. I forget if it was after the ACC. Oh, it was like they want to keep us out of the playoff. And it's like Dabo, like, dude, I get it. Like, we're probably you're probably you being. It's one of those things where you have to sit back and say, dude, you don't even really believe that. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. And like, like I think his point was well taken. Of like. Dude, uh, you know, they want to put Georgia in, and Georgia lost to South Carolina, and we beat South Carolina by 50 or whatever. But, like, I, that was one where I was like, you know, Dabo has had a few too many people patting him on the back the last few years because that's oh, not – Oh, no doubt, and it shows. Like, he, he says he'll leave. Like, and again, maybe he's just this serious about it, and I'm not even saying he's wrong, but, like, the way in which he said some comments about how if they ever, like, started to pay players, if they were able to make money, he is so against that. Like, he basically said he'd walk away from the job that day if players were ever allowed to get paid. Like, yep. and again, it, you know, I don't even think that's, I mean, I don't think players should necessarily get a salary. Um, this is, of course, a conversation for a totally different day, but just the way in which he said it reminds me exactly what you just said, which is he's got the people love up on him a little too much in the last couple of years. He's staying with himself. Hey, exactly. All right, perfect. Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, I, I know, obviously, look, Louisville's playing uh, a bowl game here in a couple weeks. Um, any other thoughts on bowl season as a whole? I will say this really quick. For all the talk of, you know, um, there's too many bowl games and all this stuff, the party that I hosted on Friday was going on during whatever bowl game it was that had Kent State and whoever, and there were people rushing to the window to bet that game because there was a sports book in the sports bar that I was at. And so all this crap about there's too many bowl games. Listen, I got a little downtime this week. I'm going to sit my butt on the couch, grab a beer at 2 in the afternoon, and watch these games. I hate that there's too many bowl game conversation, but outside of the playoff, you excited for these games? You can at least have a couple of them on in the background while you're doing whatever it is you yeah, do during I mean, holidays? Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's you know, nobody's claiming that the bowl season is the best thing in sports. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it's football. Who wouldn't want to watch it? So I'm with you as far as people who just like to hate on it to hate on it. Um, and uh, one thing that is that – that, seems to be a trend that is, well, the trend has been developed. It's not slowed down, but the reaction to guys who decide to sit out. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I, I thought a lot of fans were angry, criticized these players. I think now people, more people get why they decide to sit out. And it's okay. I mean, just because the Louisville's got their big offensive lineman who's going to go pro and decided not to play. Benny Snell, of course, decided to go pro, but is going to play. I think regardless of whatever decision these guys make, fans now kind of understand there's, you know, bigger picture than these bowl games, which they used to annoy me when people, like, when fans would, like, Jagger Alexander for Louisville, he decided not to play in the bowl game when Lamar Jackson did decide to play. And, I, I know, I, I remember we had a lot of fans just kind of losing their minds. And, you know, 
it may make football a little less exciting for you to know one of your best players isn't there, but like, I don't know. I, I, to me, it seems like people are more level-headed about that, and I found that to be a good thing because, you know, these guys, they got, they got life after their college career that is pretty important too. Well, and, and I think most people kind of understand, like, bowl games that don't aren't involved in the playoff – they're just for our entertainment. They're just for to give exactly. us something to do from, uh, you know, at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday in on December 29th. You know, and like so, so like I, I think fans have kind of come to that acceptance of like, dude, this doesn't have to be some crazy thing. And let's be honest, like, er, you know, and I understand it's different in a local market, and you know, you kind of live and die with these guys and all that stuff. But it's kind of like, dude, like, uh, you know. Uh, I'm not gonna not watch the like if the Rose Bowl is on on January 1st at four o'clock. I'm not gonna not watch that game if Justin Herbert decides like I don't want to play in this bowl game for Oregon or like last year if Dwayne Haskins had said I'm out I'm not playing for Ohio State like we still would have watched the Rose Bowl you know and so I I get the conversation I I don't like I think most I I think what's happened was it was a big story for two or three years. And then what ended up happening it was, was unheard of initially. When yeah. I mean, it first happened, it was unheard of. Exactly. Now it's happening and it makes sense. Yeah, and and I always bring up, by the way, that it's ironic that people claim like 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 that it, it became this thing because Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette were the first guys to do it. And it, it's crazy because Leonard Fournette, Coach O, ironically, we were just talking about Coach O, basically had to tell him, like, we're not letting you play in this game. He wanted to play, and, and Coach O wouldn't let him because he didn't want him to get more injured. And so it's kind of crazy how it snowballed from there. And, like, I do think some of these guys are a little dramatic. Like, dude, you're a fringe second rounder. Like, chill out, just play in this bowl game. But I also think fans are just like, dude, whatever. Like, I'm going to watch – uh, the Sugar Bowl or the 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 Alamo Bowl or the Peach Bowl or whatever, even if the starting quarterback or the the starting left tackle or the defensive tackle isn't playing, and so I'm with you. Um, I'm still gonna watch the hell out of a lot of these games, but it you know it is crazy how quickly the narrative has slowed down. And I will just say there are still a couple interesting matchups: Alabama, Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. Um, Minnesota, Auburn, I'm kind of excited about. So there are some games, even without some of this star power, that I'm still interested in. Same here. Those two games you just mentioned are two that I have circled as far as ones that I want to, that, that have a little more juice to them than, uh, than the others. All right. Very good. I think that is all going to be all for today's episode. Uh, my buddy, uh, James Alberino, the spread investor, is joining me on the back end to talk a little bit of gambling. But I think that's it. For myself and Nick Coffey, uh, of course, you can hear Nick 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at the Card Connect. Nick, it was fun. It was fun catching up. Uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. Are you going to be in Rupp Arena or are you going to be watching from the couch? No, I'll be watching from the couch. But, uh, yeah, it was fun, uh, fun getting back together. And happy holidays to everybody. All right. Thank you again to Nick. And now here is my buddy, the Spread Investor. All right, and joining me on the phone now, my good buddy. We hung out in Vegas last, uh, I guess it was about a year ago now, but he is... Uh, it was March. It was March. It was great. We just sat there, and all we did was watch basketball. Well, you guys were... I had to actually go to a couple games, but uh, for people who don't know you, okay, real quick. Spread Investor, James Alberino. You can follow him on Twitter, at The Spread Investor. You can watch him every Sunday on SNY in New York. Place your bets. He's on WFAN. He's my go-to gambling guy. So, James, spread investor. First of all, 
What's up? How you doing? It was March. We hung. We've been in touch. I've wanted you on. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, man. Just, you know, wrapping up a football season. A little crazy that there's only about five, six weeks left of football in general. The season, sometimes it feels very long, but at the same time, it goes by so fast. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we get right back into the college hoops right after the new year. So just busy till the end of the season, man. But yeah, I'm actually a little jealous that you've been out in Vegas because uh, I've I've been in New York working on some things here, and I definitely got to get out there and, and join you at Legacy one of these times. Well, first of all, you're always welcome, and uh, yeah, I have to. I, I was telling you off air, I'm going out twice between now and March, so I will be back out there. Uh, but yeah, we we hung out. We watched a lot of conference tournament basketball last year with our buddy John Desre- John Dostremski from WFAN. Uh, and I've wanted to have you on for a while, so we're going to talk bowl games in a minute. Really quick, I did want to ask you because, dude, you know you, you know how it is. Your guys are drinking beers, blah, blah, blah. I don't know a ton about your background, where you started, whatever, but like I said, uh, your Twitter handle is the Spread Investor. I follow religiously. Uh, you do a lot of NFL. You obviously are doing a lot of college football uh, during college football season, and obviously uh, we're going to talk college hoops, you and I, down the road, but the, the website is SpreadInvestor.com. The Twitter handle is Spread Investor. And I, you know, I see you handing out winners left and right, but but like I don't really know where you got started, how you got started, all that stuff. Yeah, well, I've been betting since high school. Like, sure, we all have. Yeah. I, I came across it, you know, my sophomore year of high school, and I started betting the NFL. And you know, that's the easy follow when you first doing this because you only really have to track Sunday games and then a Monday game. It wasn't even Thursday night football at that point, and you know. I learned the game, and that was at also at the time. Since the money came out, as you know, as silly as that sounds, it, it, it was the first time that really. Well, I, I shouldn't say the first time, but um, sports betting was trending in a, in a little bit different of a direction at that point with the internet. You know, early two thousands, um, there was a lot of information that was available that was legitimate to help you with handicapping. And I used to buy picks from handicappers and I would buy betting guides. Doc Schwartz was one of the betting guides I would buy that had delivered to my uncle's house in Brooklyn so that my parents didn't know that I was betting because they definitely <laughs> didn't want me gambling. Sure. And then I'd, and then I'd research it. You know, me and my best friend from high school, we'd research, literally just during our free periods in the homeroom, research games to bet in the NFL. And, you know, we had some success leaning on successful handicaps. Like, we weren't just getting six, we were getting analysis from these guys and saying, okay, what are the patterns that they're looking for? What are the angles that they're like? What? And then we look back even after the winter, which you're really not on the internet through right now. Like, there's so much free information that helps with sports betting. We would go back and look at, okay, after this game covered by 25 points, what did this handicapper look for in this game and how could we apply it to the next game? Sure. Um, look, I'd be lying if I said in 15 years of this that this is a uh, you know, every year's race, sunshine, and uh, you know, life, you know, doing this this long and doing this now as a career is definitely ups and downs. But um, it's you know an incredibly fun industry to be in, and, and there's never a boring day when you're working in this. Well, it's never a boring day, and you know, there's always and listen, somebody like you as a professional, there's there's never uh, a reason that that uh, you know, there's always something to to watching and gambling on, and it is amazing to me, like even being in Vegas this past weekend as the bowl games kind of kicked off, how 
um, you know, the interest in even these like second and third tier bowl games. And like you said, it's been insane even the last four or five years, how how kind of mainstream gambling has become. Uh, and so we could do another time kind of the big picture, just where are we at with gambling in 2019, 2020. Uh, but I do want to talk to you kind of a little bit about some of these college football bowl games. A lot of people listening to this show uh, are like more like me, like to throw 20 bucks or 50 bucks or, you know, the, the, the cash you got from grandma, you know, they want to throw it on the, uh, you know, the Gasparilla Bowl or whatever. So, I just want to start kind of in, in the simplest form, which is college football bowl game is maybe to me like the most insane thing to, to bet on because you have so many different factors. You have how motivated is a team? Did the coach leave in the offseason? Uh, are there players sitting out? And just in the big picture, I, I don't know how many games you're going to have action on this bowl season or whatever, but there's obviously people listening. When you do kind of approach bowl season, what are you looking for? What are you not looking for? Just in the big picture, what are you thinking with the, with, with all these bowl games? Well, look, bowl games now as opposed to five years ago are very different. Yeah, you have to factor in what the team motivation is, so much more with that shit now. And how's that particular team going to handle it? Or are the backups going to rise up and play and use this opportunity? Or has the team lost focus and, and they're not playing uh, together like they, they did all season? Um, I think it is hard to handicap balls in this situation because handicapping motivation is not quantifiable. You can't look at statistics and trends and say this team is performing X under these circumstances and team B is doing this way. You have to use intuition and speculation. It's not easy, man. I mean, there was a game Saturday at SMU playing Florida Atlantic, and Florida Atlantic had about a dozen starters sitting out of that game Lane Kiffin's gone on this, and you figure, well, these guys, some of them violating team rules. What's this level of focus for this team? SNU looking for their first bowl win since 2012. SNU gets blown out by 28, and you know a lot of people were on SMU that were sharply that moved that line from minus three to minus eight. That line moved from minus three to minus eight That's within 25 minutes. The suspensions were announced, so. Yeah, it's definitely hard, man. I think with bowls in general, you have to isolate certain spots, and sometimes it's the, the motivational spot. Like this Marshall-UCF game, we're recording this right now. UCF jumped up to a 21 nothing lead in the first quarter when their motivation level was questionable. Um, but as you get teams involved, if you find good motivation vendors that you're confident in, and the matchup stack it up, and the number is a good number, I think that's you know, that leads you toward the play. Very good. Uh, is there any game that jumps out? I mean, I know you just mentioned one line moving four, five, six points in a matter of minutes. Is there any game that jumps out to you as we get set for kind of some of these bigger games heading into the weekend that you just feel like the number isn't right or you just feel really confident in one side versus the other? Yeah, I do think that Florida is going to blow out Virginia. I think Virginia is too dependent on Bryce Perkins and as good as he is, Florida's a really good defense, and I think Florida can move the ball in Virginia. Virginia's defense was up and down this year. Uh, in the ACC, they got they got beat badly by Clemson, and not that Florida's offense is anywhere near Trevor Lawrence at Clemson's level. Uh, but Trash and Florida can move the ball. They have big wide receivers. I think Florida could win that game uh, somewhere in the 24 to 28 point range. And Texas, I think. 
this is one where you look for motivational advantages. Texas playing Utah. Texas plus seven at Utah. Utah just comes off a game where they missed out on being the fourth seed potentially in the college football playoffs. Whether or not politics and popularity would have played a factor into that, if they would have gotten the fourth seed, it's another debate. But the fact of the matter is now they're playing for a less bowl, a lesser bowl game, and they can't be as excited for this game as they would have been for playing in a college football playoff. So I think Texas now, as a dog, they're in a good spot, and I think much like last year when Georgia got blown out in their bowl game versus Texas, because they were coming off the dream structure, I think Texas benefits from this spot. The points are very valuable at the money line. So let me ask, so, so real quick, and something I, I was kind of thinking about as you talked about the, the Texas-Utah game. So Utah and Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham is known as he is the best historically record-wise um the best he has the best win percentage in bowl games of any coach in college football history i believe that's a fact and if it's not well let's just pretend it is because it's pretty good it's like 11 and 2 but every year is different motivation is different etc how much do you factor in and you might have hit on this off the top do you factor in historical trends at all where this coach is relatively successful this coach isn't successful or is it just one of those deals where every year is kind of its own independent thing because there's so many variables with bowl games well, here's another game. Saturday, Florida International. Talking about head coach and friends. Uh, Bush Davis was 6-0 and against certain bowl games coming into that game on Saturday. Florida International. Granted, they missed a chip shot of a field goal to take the lead in the game. They ended up losing that game by eight points. And that, you know, whether it's motivational difference or whatever, but yeah, I think now with the way bowl games are trending, like we were talking about before, and the fact that different guys, it depends on each game. I don't know if trends are the end-all, be-all. I think it's certainly a factor. Um, I think it's a little bit different, though, for each team based on their particular situation, whether the motivation and the trends uh, are more important. Very good. Uh, another quick game that is not kind of in the, the playoff, and we'll get to the two playoff games to wrap. Um, Alabama and Michigan. So, I, I get the kind of conversations about uh, motivation and Alabama's going to have some guys sitting out and they're not in the playoff for the first time ever. But I also sometimes do look at things like from a very simple X's and O's, stylistic, whatever. And I don't claim to be any X's and O's expert, but Jim Harbaugh, and, I, and I'm a Harbaugh defender, but historically he has struggled against teams like Alabama, athletic, fast, wide receivers, whatever. And this to me, just to me, I don't claim to be an expert, but it feels like a bloodbath waiting to happen. Alabama to me is interesting because of the motivation factor, whatever. Do you have any strong feel on this game? Because that was one that kind of jumped out to me right away. Well, look, I think this is one of those games where motivation can play a factor. And again, part of speculation, part of intuition, but you go to play football in Alabama, you expect national championship or at least getting to the championship game. And you saw it all for a sec that game versus Auburn. When all Alabama missed that field goal at the end and they lost, Nick Saban was furious. They had a standard of trying to meet and win national championships. So, again, I don't know 100% what their motivation is, what their focus has been the last couple weeks, but you get the point. 
And again, they're not as excited for this game as they would have been playing in the college football game. Uh, you know, note to uh, Alabama doesn't have the same defense that they've had years ago. Bo Nick struggled a lot in the SEC this year, and Alabama's defense, he was moving the ball up and down on them. They scored in the 40s. So, um, Shea Patterson, I-, I never thought that he was a quarterback that could get you to the college football playoff for national championship. But it, it's a softer Alabama defense that you've had in years. I don't think it's possible for Michigan to put a game plan together that moves the ball. And on the other side, Michigan's defense is very good. But yeah, they got blown up versus Ohio State. But again, this isn't too, uh, um, I don't think it'll be easy for Michigan, but I think Michigan could put up enough points. You know, that game versus Notre Dame, they, they did play a big game. And this is, has to be a much bigger game for Michigan than it is Alabama. Michigan's playing Alabama. They're playing up, you know, they're playing Hunter. Alabama's the Hunter always. And Michigan, it would be tough on those who needs to win this game. I, you know, whether, where his future is after this, we'll see. Uh, but he needs, this would be a much bigger win for Michigan than it would be for Alabama. Very good. Uh, the two college football playoff games. So the first one. Oklahoma LSU. I'm going to give you kind of my, my quick thoughts and just, again, similar to that last game, what, what you think. Um, I love Coach O. I think Coach O is an incredible story, um, and I saw that the line moved early where I don't remember exactly what the number was, but maybe it was 9 or 10 all the way up to two touchdowns. But I do think there's kind of a point of diminishing returns where Oklahoma, whatever you think about them, and I know they have a couple guys suspended, this is their third straight playoff appearance, uh, fourth overall They've never gotten a win, and this is part of it as well. Is not just motivation, but also like you hear for a month that you got no chance against the team, uh, and you take it personal when you step out on the field. So maybe the the defense isn't good enough at Oklahoma. Maybe LSU is going to score 70 on them. I don't know. But I could see the scenario where because of kind of just the, the, the kind of negative publicity or whatever, is that like uh, that, that this one could be a little bit closer than people think uh, do you have any strong feel on LSU Oklahoma? Yeah, I'm not betting against LSU and Joe Burrow. Sure. And I know that the Heisman winners don't necessarily translate to wins uh, in bowl season and the playoffs, but I can't bet against LSU. The offense is too powerful. And I saw enough of Oklahoma's defense where I have no faith in them stopping Joe Burrow. If Oklahoma had a defense and they had a different identity as opposed to being just passing all over the place, uh, it'd be a little bit different story. Now, LSU's defense is going to give up points in this game, no doubt. But for me, you know, and when I see a number move like that, yeah, look, the value now is on Oklahoma, potentially. Uh, but there's margin potential in this game because LSU can score so much, and they will put up points. So if the, the wrong price was set out, at nine and a half in this game, really truly should have been around 12, maybe 12 and a half. But LSU can also put up points in bunches. I know a lot of people will automatically play Oklahoma if it gets up to 13, you know, if it gets up to 14. And that, that's the right move in a lot of cases. Personally, for me, I, I don't bet a game just because it got to a certain number. Sure. Like I, I want to be confident that the game could win by at least six or seven points. I feel more strongly about LSU. Yeah, that was actually kind of a question that I did have for you. So 
is it, and you know you hear that all the time um, from people in your industry, people that bet whatever football, basketball, whatever is like. Well, you know, once it got to two touchdowns, I had to take it, or uh, you know, when I'm getting the extra half a point, I have to take it. And I'm like, you know, if you didn't feel good about it at this number, why do you like? Why would you have felt good at just because you get the extra half a point or whatever? Um, so it sounds to me more like. Um, as much as you look at the numbers and the math of all of it, a lot of it, it strikes me with you is a lot of just stylistic things, things of that nature. Is that fair to say? Because I just I found that comment by you interesting. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, you're you're on with that's a big, big motto in the industry of playing numbers, get close line value. And look, that's definitely important. What doesn't get talked about in this industry is that different betters have different styles of playing. There's more than one way to play. Interesting. You know, Louisville under Patino used to press full court man-to-man. Syracuse and Bayheim they played 2-3 zone. You can win different ways. You don't have to always play heavy volume at lower risk. You can play less volume, more quality plays, and bet bigger. It, 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 there's, there's, it, it's different. And I would say it's different on every single week. So, for me, yeah, I don't personally say, yeah, well, I got an extra half point or I got a point. Now I like it. Like, I'm not betting a game if I think I'm going to cover by a point or two. Sure. Like, yeah. Do these games often cover by wide margins? No. It's, it's a game of grind. And it's tough to win these games by 10 plus points. But, you know, look at the Chiefs last night. Perfect example. Bears got ballooned up from. Five, five and a half, close at seven. I'm sure I'll stick the Bears at seven because, yeah, hey, great number. Point, spread didn't matter. That game, LSU, uh, SMU versus um, Florida Atlantic on Saturday. Number moved from minus three to minus seven. SMU like a lot of times. The point spread doesn't even matter. And I know the term sharp set numbers players bet teams, it makes a lot of sense, but it's also betting the right teams at the right numbers, not just doing one or the other. Very good. That was actually very insightful, and if you had a little more time, I would expand on it, but I want to get you out of here. Really kind of the last big question for me is that second college football playoff game, uh, Ohio State-Clemson. Full disclosure, I mean, you know, you talk about, um, you know, not even you, but just in general, people talking betting. You don't have to have action on every game. You don't have to feel great about every game. And this is one where, like, uh, you know, I, I did a segment with my buddy before you came on, James, and I was just like, dude, I could see either team winning. I could see either team covering. I could see it being, you know, I don't know if I could – I don't know. I could see it going either way. This is one that, you know, if I throw down a couple bucks, maybe, but it's not something that I would feel great about. Uh, do you have any feel? Do you have any lean? Anybody you're talking to give you any advice on this one? Because this one just feels like, to me, there it, it just feels like it could go either way. Yeah, look, this is a game that it's going to be exciting. Saturday night, Christmas week, 8 o'clock, college football playoffs. People watching, your home with family. Like, this is a game you're going to want to watch and have some action on. Like, let's be real. But this is, like... It's so hard to make a case to bet against Ohio State, to bet against Clemson. That even even if you have a handicap in this game, it's tough because yeah, it, 
either team is just that hard. Ohio State blows out Michigan. Ohio State blows out Wisconsin. Like, it's a really good team. My lean on this game, I don't have any money on it, at least yet. And my lean is to Clemson because I feel like they're playing the card of everyone's giving us disrespect that we don't have a tough schedule with any ACC and yada yada. And it's like, I did. Like, what are we supposed to do? What are we going to go and say, oh, uh, Alabama, we're going to schedule you in the middle of October. Uh, <laughs> sure. Auburn, hey, hey, listen, we play in the ACC. We have obligations to the conference, but let's go to the SEC. Like, I think over these next, over these last two weeks and the next week, that's how Clemson is thinking, and that's where their mind is going. Whereas Ohio State is dominant as they have been. They don't have that extra fuel over these last three, four weeks to be like, all right, we got to go out and shut these people up. So anger in sports and a little extra motivation with Sabo, you can tell he's been frustrated this entire year. It's like, dude, shut up. We won the national championship <laughs> last year. We blew out Alabama. Dude. We blew them out. What more do we have to prove, AT? Dude, we talked. Oh, me, I think they come into this game, and I'll oof. probably bet Clemson by the time kickoff. Dude, my buddy and I, Nick Coffey, talked about this, and he's based in ACC country, and he sees Dabo up close and in personal. And I was like, we got a little bit of an edgy Dabo this year. Like, like you know, he's just like, oh, yeah. yeah, like he's the nice guy, and, you know, he's – uh, you know, the, he's got a great story and, you know, walk on at Bama and, you know, he was dirt poor growing up. And now he's like complaining, well, yeah, they don't want us in this playoff. It's like, come on, Dabo, stop. You have the best quarterback in college football, the future number one pick. I'm pretty sure everybody wants you in this playoff. If you're if you, like, like if you want to if you want to be mad, be mad at Wake Forest and be mad at Louisville and be mad at freaking uh, uh, Boston College for being terrible. Don't be mad at us because we're not going to talk about <laughs> you because you're winning every game by 60. You know what I'm saying? Blowing teams out like I made so much money on Clemson. Over this month and a half. Like if, if my other games in college football in the NFL were were 75 percent as good as Clemson's been to me over the last six weeks. Yeah. Oh, dude. I'd be I'd be having a podcast conversation on the beach right now. There you go. Um, oh, Clemson. You know, as as we're talking this out a little bit more, and and I, and I think about it, I think the motivation will come into play a little bit. I do think it gives them a little bit of edge. Like, chip on your shoulder, champions. Like they got flat for playing a little bit slow in the first half of the season. Okay, they're coming off national championship. Like you don't always operate at your absolute peak for all four months of the season. Like, there's peaks and valleys to it, man. There's kind of, this team's a peak for the end of the season. You see it all the time, even in college hoops, especially. Oh, yeah. So, um, I will... Oh, I'm getting more excited about Clemson later in the week. But check in with me before this game Saturday. Maybe we'll both be having some fun. Yeah, perfect. All right. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I, uh, I'm I, with you. Is like, uh, it, no one's going to play perfect for 12 weeks in a row. And I get it. I get that you're mad that we're not talking about you more. But it's like, dude, when you win every game, fifty-eight to seven, like it's hard to just find <laughs> like talking. Like, like it's not even like I host a national radio show every Saturday night, and it's like, like yeah, like when when Ohio State's playing Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin back to back, like yeah, there's stuff to talk about. Like it's not our fault that Miami and Florida State are terrible. Whatever. Uh, James Al- Alberino, the Spread Investor at the Spread Investor uh, at the Spread Investor on Twitter. Spreadinvestor.com is the website and place your bets on SNY. Uh, anything else that we haven't hit on? I mean, um, bowl season is here. 
We have afternoon football. I don't believe there's such a thing as too many bowl games. I love it. Uh, anything else that we haven't hit on that you uh, that you want a fan to know or, or what needs to be discussed in this bowl season or anything else? Probably well, a couple of NFL weeks because I really like the look of the week 17 card right off the bat. And again, this is you know early in the week, so it's subject to change. But Cardinals plus seven and a half at the Rams. Kyler Murray got hurt late in that game yesterday with a hamstring injury, and he sat out the rest of the game. But Kingsbury this morning said if Kyler can play, which is a chance he can, he's going to push him, and he wants him to play. He wants him to have the mental reps on the road in the division. And are the Rams really going to be focused this week when they just gave everything they could versus 49ers in a game that mattered for their season? Up and down game, back and forth. Now the Cardinals for what? Again, this is a Cardinal spot for them to rise up and, and play the hunter. And if Kyler Murray plays, I really like this at plus seven and a half. Then I like the Colts, three and a half, to blow out the Jaguars. Jaguars have been a mess. They do not care. I think they quit. They lost prior to yesterday. They lost 17, by 17 or more in four straight games. And their defense is nowhere near where it was. The Colts, at least have tried. The Colts blew out Carolina yesterday. Frank Reich is, is securing his job. and they're healthy. The Colts are healthier now than they were about a month ago, so I think the Colts route them. And the Giants getting four and a half, I can't even believe I'm saying this, and I don't know if I'll actually put money on it, but the Giants getting four and a half at home versus the Eagles, I think the Eagles just take advantage of the Cowboys because it's completely schizophrenic. The Cowboys have been terrible on the road the entire year. They let Mr. Trubisky go all over them. Yeah. They, they were bad, bad road teams. So I'm not overly impressed with all the Eagles. I mean, maybe they're making a play again. I don't know. The Eagles just showed with the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Redskins three weeks in a row. And the Giants with Eli Manning were a couple plays away from winning that game mm-hmm. on the road in prime time. This line makes no sense. This line would mean the Giants would be plus 10.5 in Philadelphia with a healthy Daniel Jones. Saquon looked great yesterday. The Giants are the right side in this game. Very good. Uh, James Alberino, again, the website is spreadinvestor.com, spreadinvestor on Twitter. Uh, dude, it was fun. And I, we will got to do it again during college hoop season. I know you're focused on football right now, but as we transition into February and March, man, I'm going to have you back on. Uh, and we'll do it again, my man. Thank you. Always good talking to you, man. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.